We're in John chapter 6. I want to invite you to open your Bibles there. I'm going to feed you with a fire hose today and move quickly. Um, and uh, let me start with a pop quiz. Uh, let me ask you this question. Um, where do you find Jesus? There you go. That's normally the right answer in church. Um, where do you find the scripture that money is the root of all evil? Yeah, somebody says in the Bible, somebody says you don't. I think I actually heard somebody say that it's in 1 Timothy. It's actually 1 Timothy 6.10. However, it's a trick question because it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Second question, where do you find the scripture that says God helps those who, helps themse who help themselves? It's, it's in two, two books. It's in the book of, of uh, First Fleshalonians. And it's in the book of Habunkus, all right? That is not a scripture, okay? It is not scripture that God helps those who help themselves. Now, here's why I say that. Today, John chapter 6, really the big idea is provision. Uh, and we're going to see God's provision. We're going to see God's provision for our earthly needs, and we're going to see God's provision for our greatest heavenly need, and that's going to be the focus uh, today. John chapter 6, verse 1, let's jump right in. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea uh, of, of Tiberias. The Sea of Galilee had a bunch of different names. It was also called the Lake of Gennesaret. Um, and uh, so that's what he went over. Uh, and then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now, after these things is what John says. Now, as we've seen, John's gospel does not follow a detailed linear path. It doesn't follow a detailed linear timeline. Uh, it highlights specific sections of Jesus' ministry. And so sometimes, as is the case here, weeks or even months have passed and been skipped over uh, from one chapter to the next. And, in, and indeed, here in John chapter 6, it's probably about six to eight months after the events of John chapter 5. How do we know that? Well, if you look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have more of a cr uh, chronological progression uh, to them, and so that fills in uh, the gaps. And so the story of John chapter 6 really begins in Mark chapter 6. And uh, we'll save time, um, and, I, and I won't have you turn there, but basically, um, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus is teaching in a circuit all around the villages uh, in the lake, uh, the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret region. Um, and so this is what Jesus is doing during this time. Luke 10 adds the detail that Jesus sent his disciples out ahead of him into every village or town where he himself uh, was about to go. Um, and so these disciples, they went out, <coughs> Jesus himself going out and about, and the disciples came back, and they were exhausted from the work. When you serve the Lord, the, the Bible says, Mark 10, 45, Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And uh, when you and me, when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus and, and we serve him faithfully, uh, if you do it right, a couple of things happen. Uh, number one, it's exhausting. It's been said, ministry that costs nothing is worth nothing. And so when you serve the Lord, it really truly is exhausting. Everybody who ever served at one of our VBS, say amen, right? It is exhausting. But the second thing, it's exhilarating. 
It is absolutely amazing when God works in you and God works through you and there's this incredible sense of humility uh, and, and, and of, of just, it, you're just stoked, man. It's just exhilarating to see what God does. And so this is what happens when the, the disciples come back. They're exhausted. And so Jesus promised them a retreat um, across the Sea of Galilee um, to a deserted place because Mark 6 tells us that they were so busy, they didn't even have time to eat. That's how busy they were, right? So Jesus says, hey, get in the boat. We're going to go over to a deserted place. They actually go to uh, the Golan Heights uh, area. If you've ever been to Israel, to, the, to uh, the Sea of Galilee region, you know where the Golan Heights is, and that's where they were going across into that region. So this is where uh, they go. But Mark 6, and 34 says, The multitudes <clears throat> saw them departing, And many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them, and they came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, meaning he came out of the boat, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. I believe the Greek word is splachna. We get the word uh, bowels or guts. He was moved from the gut for them. Um, And... um, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. So that's the setup here in John 6. Jesus and his disciples, uh, they went across the Sea of Galilee for a little break. The multitudes followed them. They, they ran around the shore and were there waiting for them when they got off the boat. And no doubt the disciples are like, you again, we just got rid of you, you know. But Jesus is moved with compassion And he goes up on a hillside, he sits down with his disciples and with those that gather, and he begins to teach them. That's the setup here. And then John adds this detail. Look at verse 4. It says, now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. This isn't uh, just a a throwaway, oh, by the way. No, everything hinges on this. This is key to our story uh, today. The Passover commemorates the Jews' escape. Uh, from Egypt, when the Lord can, you know, poured out the plagues upon uh, the, the nation of Egypt, and it culminated with the final plague, the angel of death, who would come and strike the, the firstborn male child of every family, and he told the Jews, uh, slaughter a, 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 a lamb, an unblemished lamb, put the blood on the doorposts of your house, and if you do that, the angel of death will pass over your house. And of course, it's a, a picture, it's pointing forward to the work of Jesus Christ, the lamb who would be slain for our sins, right? And as the doorpost of our house, uh, metaphorically speaking, our lives are, are covered with the blood of the Lamb, then death shall not visit our house. And so not only is Passover this specific event that I've just described where Jesus frees uh, the Jews from bondage, it's also associated with sustaining events, plural, as they wandered in the wilderness. An example of that is in Exodus chapter 16. I'll put it on the screen for you. Here are the Jews, they'd been wandering in the wilderness, and it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Welcome to church leadership. Uh, And the Israelites (laughs) said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat, and we ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Right? (laughs) Not true. And and isn't it funny how people have a memory of the past, right? They glorify it. Only remember the good. They forget all the bad. 
<coughs> right? And so the Lord, in his grace and mercy, verse 4, he says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Now, the Jews called this bread manna, which is a loose translation in the Hebrew. Uh, manna means, what is it? That's what that word means. And that they're like, what is this? We don't know what this is. Um, it was a bread-like substance that, that fell from heaven, and it tasted like honey. And every morning, the Jews awoke to find God's faithful provision for them. And the connection here in our text today is that in similar fashion, Jesus is going to sustain this multitude with bread from heaven. And he's going to feed these people. Um, and in so doing, as he feeds them, he's, he's satisfying certainly their temporary hunger. But in a larger sense, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to use that provision as a sign. And the sign is pointing to our deeper and greater need for Jesus, the bread of life, right? And, and the, it, that, that Jesus is the bread of life that satisfies our spiritual hunger. It's very much like the, the, the story of the gal at the woman at the well, who she's seeking to find fulfillment in, in all the physical things, right? Um, and uh, Jesus told her, look, if you drink of that water, you're going to be thirsty again. You're going to have to drink again. And it's a metaphor for what she had, the well that she'd been drinking of, because she'd been drinking from the wrong well. For this gal, her deepest longing was love. She needed, she wanted someone to love her. And so she looked for a man to be that for her. She was married five times. The dude now that she's shacking up with, he ain't her husband too. Uh, and, uh, and Jesus is saying to her, you're drinking from the wrong well. And so this is the, the miracle that Jesus is going to do. It's going to provide for the earthly hunger, but it's to serve a larger picture here to say that, that God provides for us to satisfy our deepest hunger, Jesus, the bread of life. The problem that we're going to see, and we're not going to dwell so much on it this week, we'll, we'll, we'll camp out here next week. But the problem is that these people are fixated entirely on how Jesus can satisfy their earthly needs. And they're not really concerned about, about how Jesus is going to satisfy their eternal need, right? Now, the wonderful thing about God is that he cares for both. He cares about your earthly need. And he cares about your spiritual need. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 28, he said, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are, not, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given unto you as well. So the lesson of John chapter 6 comes down to provision. God's provision for our earthly needs and God's provision for our spiritual needs. Today, we're going to focus exclusively 
on God's provision for our earthly needs, and specifically, we're going to make four observations about God's provision from the text. And let me just say this before we jump into that, that some of y'all today is a divine appointment because you come in here with burdens and with fears and with worries, um, heavy laden, right? And, uh, and some of you today, I, I know this just mathematically, but some of you here today are coming in and you're dealing with earthly needs and fears associated with those earthly needs. And so we're going to focus exclusively on God's provision for our earthly needs. First observation about God's provision, Jesus sees our need. Jesus sees our need. Look at verse 5. It says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing, circle that word, we'll come right back to it, seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat. That word seeing that I had you circle, it, it means literally to behold, it means to look upon, it means to view attentively, and it means to contemplate. In other words, this is not a passing glance. Brenda and I, we were watching a television show and father, uh, uh, mother, and uh, teenage daughter. Teenage daughter is a pain. She is just growing into her teenage years filled with, with you know, uh, hormones and emotions, giving her parents fits um, with all of her, her drama. And uh, she's just come home from a date with her boyfriend. Now, when she was on the date with her boyfriend, basically, uh, she had her world rocked because she got to a glimpse into what he had to deal with. And basically, he's raising his grandmother alone. Uh, he, he is, uh, his grandmother has, has dementia, and, and so he is the sole provider, sole caretaker for his uh, dementia-ridden grandmother. And on top of that, he's got high school, he's got, you know, sports programs, all of these things, right? So this girl sees this, her world is rocked. She comes home from this date, uh, and um, she, you know, you just see the tears welling up in her eyes, and she stops and says to her parents, because, you know, in this season of life, it's, it's filled with conflict with parents, going into a room, shutting the door, leave me alone, you know, that whole thing. But she stops and says to her parents, I just want to thank you both so much. You take such good care of me, and I'm so thankful for you. And goes into her room. Now, dad, at this point, he turns and looks at his wife. He's like, hey, that's pretty cool, you know. Mom is like, no, what do you mean? She picks up on what's going on, that her daughter's just had her world rocked and is running in to minister to what's going on to her daughter. See, dad was clueless. He just heard, hey, you guys did a great job. He's thinking like, cool, we did a great job. Mom is paying a little closer attention. Mom knows her daughter just had her world rocked, needs a chat with mom, needs to process through this heavy thing that's going on. Understand, the Lord looks at you like this mom looks at that little girl, right? That he sees, that he contemplates, that he understands. Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, he said, what's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Easier for some of us than others. Uh, so don't... Be afraid, you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So often when we are in crisis, guys, we forget that. 
We forget that. I remember years ago, I took my kids to Disneyland. You remember those days? Those were great, weren't they? I took my kids to Disneyland, and my daughter, Caitlin, she got separated from us, and she was in a sea of people. And uh, now, she couldn't see us, but I could see her, right? Uh, Man, my eyes were never off of that little girl, but she couldn't see us. And you could see this terror just register on her face, as, you know, oh my gosh, where are mom and dad? We can feel that way sometimes when we're going through crisis, when we're going through trial. You know, here, this multitude, they don't have anything to eat, and, and we can identify, perhaps, maybe, you know, not that, you know, not many of us are missing too many meals, but you know what it is to be in a position where you're thinking, God, don't you see? Don't you care? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm drowning here, right? Man, I, I never lost sight of my daughter. You know, some of us, we live our lives like functional deists. You know, a a deism is a belief that God created everything and then he split, you know. And it's kind of like the Hunger Games, you know, good luck and may the odds ever be in your favor, you know. And some people relate to God that way. They're thinking, you know, God just, he created us, he set everything in motion, and now he's not involved in our lives. Completely not true. And I want you to see here in our text, Jesus sees you today. He knows your every need. As I was putting this together, I couldn't help but think about that Tommy Walker song we used to sing all the time, a worship song, I have a maker. He formed my heart. Before even time began, my life was in his hands. I have a father. He calls me his own. He'll never leave me, no matter where I go. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. God sees you today. He knows you. Second observation here in our text about God's provision, not only does Jesus see our need, Jesus has a plan to provide for our need. Look at verses 5 through 7. Jesus lifts up his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming towards him. He says to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered and said to him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Now I want you to notice the key word here, Jesus knew what he would do. Understand, you are body, you are soul, and you are spirit, and that means a lot of things, but one of the things that it means for you experientially is that you are a physical person living in a physical world, and as such, the things of our flesh, the physical, the things that we can see and touch and handle, those are the things so often that that revolve around our daily lives, and they revolve around our thought process right? Now, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are to walk by faith and not by sight, but let's be honest, that's easier said than done, right? We're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight, but yet, how do I most often respond? Control freaks of the world unite. Like, I normally respond to what I can control, and I'm ordering all the events in my life to go, okay, What can I control? How much money do I have in the bank? What are the resources that I have to meet this need? How can I engineer a solution 
to this problem? How much cash flow do I have coming in? All of these things factor into how I tend to think in physical terms, and you're the same way oftentimes. That's the challenge. That's the struggle. And I want you to see again there in verse 7, that's exactly what Philip does, right? <clears throat> 200 denarii worth of breads, not sufficient for them. It's like even if, we, even if we did spend that, everybody would only get a little tiny bit. Now, it's quite possible that this is how much they had in their budget. A denarii, by the way, was, um, it, it was what an average worker would make in a day. So, so it's like, hey, we've got 200 days worth of money, and it's, it's very likely that's what they had in their, collect, their collective pot. That, hey, Jesus, our budget is <clears throat> 200 denarii. That's how much we've got in the bank. Uh, and we would spend it all, and, and it wouldn't even be enough to feed everybody. It would barely satisfy them. What's Philip doing? He's doing the math, and he's thinking in the natural, Right? When we built our first church at Revival, we got a building committee together and we were having regular meetings to discuss how we were going to go about, you know, a building project. And one of the guys on that, we just spent a couple hours talking about things and, and one of the guys on that committee just stood up at one point and he just said, guys, this is ridiculous. We are wasting our time. Because I'm looking at what we've got in this account. I'm looking at what's coming into this account. And I'll just flat tell you, at this rate, we, this is impossible. We will never build a building. We'll never be able to build a building. What did he forget? God. He forgot God, right? And, and we can't get down on him because we do the same thing all the time. I like what David Guzik said. He said, Philip thought in terms of money and how much money it would take to carry out God's work in a small way. We often limit God the same way, looking for how God's work can be done in the smallest way. Jesus wanted to use a completely different approach and provide in a big way. So Jesus sees our need. Jesus has a plan to provide for our need. Third observation about God's provision, Jesus' provision comes through what we offer him in faith. Notice verses 8 through 11. It says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here, that, that word lad means young boy, he's probably, you know, 7, 10 years of, of age, somewhere in that region, 7, 10, 12 years of age. There's a, there's a young boy here, has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number about 5,000. There was much grass in the place. You know, we, we, we sang a song today in worship, and it's so funny. I, I, I'm not involved in worship. I'm not involved in their picking of their songs or anything like that. I just give them the text and say, read it, let the Spirit lead you. But Jesus makes them sit down in green grass. You know, um, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runneth over. Surely, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
And such as this beautiful picture here, Jesus says, sit down in this green grass, right? And, they, and he has them, they, they divide into these groups. They're <clears throat> numbering about 5,000, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So Jesus here, he's doing what he does best. He's, he's bringing people to Jesus. Every time you see uh, Andrew, uh, you know, every time you see Andrew in, in, uh, in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus, right? So Andrew, he's doing what he does best. He's bringing people to Jesus. And, but yet he's thinking like Philip too, right? Because he says, hey, this kid brought his lunch, <laughs> but what good can that be among so many? Almost as embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to say this out loud. You know, he, 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 this kid, he's, he's got, he's got you know, some, some bread and some fish, right? Now, he says, what can that be among so many? That, that phrase, so many, it means literally great and vast. And verse 10 gives us the number. We're talking 5,000 men. So you add women and children to the equation. You're talking, you know, 15,000, 20,000 people here. He's like, we've got... We got some bread and some fish. And when, and when he says, you know, describes the fish there, you know, we're talking like anchovies. The, the small, when it says small fish and the, the bread, it, this was more like, you know, a condiment to go to like a spread to go on the, on the bread. This is, this is sort of the, the, the picture there. There's a lad here. He's got five barley loaves and he's got a couple of anchovies. You know... When I came to Christ, I'd made a mess of my finances. I was a brand new baby Christian, and I had it on my heart. I wanted to give, but, but you know, I, I, I grew up, I was in the fire department, which is, which is a bad occupation for an 18, 19-year-old. It's a bad way to learn financial management, I'll just tell you that, because you got overtime coming out your ears. You just, you want more money, you just work an overtime shift, Right. And so I didn't run out of overtime shift. I ran out of days of the week that I could work. I was working seven days a week, and I'd obligated myself to a, to a lifestyle and to an expenditure, you know, into debts that necessitated that I work all of these stuff. So I've got a wife, and I've got kids at home, and I'm gone all the time just struggling to, make my, my, to, to pay my bills. I got to the point where I would take vacation days at the fire department so I could work overtime as a paramedic for a private ambulance company so that I could get eight days a week out of my income earning potential, right? And so I'm sitting there one day. I used to bring my bills with me to the fire station. I'd go out in the front office and I'd you know, set my little package down there. I got all my bills spread out and I, and I just want to crawl up in a ball and cry. I'm so stressed out because I'm like, not only can't I pay my bills, I can't give God anything. And so I did something in that moment. I don't recommend it, but I just opened my, I just said, God, I need to hear from you. And I opened my Bible. It's funny, I just did that, and I landed nine, nine chapters away from where I landed that time. But here's where I landed. Here's how God spoke to me. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 1 through 9. Bel and Nebo, the gods of Babylon, bow as they are lowered to the ground. They're being hauled away on, an ox, on ox carts. The poor beasts stagger under the weight. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods cannot protect the people, and the people cannot protect the gods. 
They go off into captivity together. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob. All you who remain in Israel, I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you. I will care for you. I will carry you along and I'll save you. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and their gold and they hire a craftsman to make a God from it. Little G God. And then they bow down and they worship it. They carry it around on their shoulders. And when they set it down, it stays there. It cannot even move. And when someone prays to it, there's no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Do not forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past. For I alone am God. I am God and there is none like me. And I'm a puddle at this point. I, God encounters, God, I need to hear from you. And God, in his loving way, he speaks to me and basically says, look, you have made money your God. And it will not save you, I'll save you. And remember, the, the burden of my heart was, God, I, I made a mess out of my life. I made a mess out of my finances. And now I'm starting to walk with you. I just want to honor you in, in my life. I want to honor you with my money. And so I heard God speaking to my heart, and he says, look, you're fixated on giving me 10%. And I, and I see you've made a mess of your finances. So, so look, you know, and, and this is the Spirit just speaking to me. He's like, don't give what you can't. Just give what you can. Just, you know, make sure that it's sacrificial and make sure that you're faithful in it. And, and I'm like, Lord, I'll do it. I, I can sacrifice somewhere to give you something. And, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was far away from, from 10%, it, which is what I, I had it on my heart to give. But it, but it was something. It was sacrificial and it was faithful. And I was starting to worship God with something that up until that point had ruled my life. Parents, I want you to notice who gave in this story. It's a little boy. It's a little boy who offered what he had for the Lord to use and for the Lord to multiply. Kelsey Baldwin goes to our church. Many of you know her. She sings periodically in our worship team and serves in many other ways. She was telling me a story a couple weeks ago. It might have been last week. She was telling me a story about her daughter, Haven. Haven lost a tooth, and she got money from the tooth fairy. And she told her mom that she wanted to to give something to Jesus from what, you know, she'd gotten from the tooth fairy. And they kept forgetting to bring it. And finally, they, she had, she brought it with her, and she looked at her mom and she said, I want to give it all. I mean, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, right? And Kelsey is just talking about just the faith of this little girl. And I want you to see this, 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 this kid, he because the thing is, Andrew brings him and says, hey, look, I know we got this need. Here, this kid's got his lunch. And this kid, right, that's really big on Andrew's part, right? What'd you give? Well, I found this kid. He's got lunch. <laughs> Grabbing him by his feet. Let's get his lunch money, you know? 
this kid, I mean, you know, clearly he's like, you can take it, Jesus. You can take it. And look again at verse 11. The people received how much? What's the last, what's the last words of the sentence? As much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. And this includes this kid who gave his lunch money to Jesus, right? In the end, he got back more than he bargained for, right? He got as much as he wanted. You remember you go to school, you get your lunch. I used to get the cheese and crackers, and you get to the end, and you're licking the cheese out of the little square. It's like there's just not as much as you want in there, right? Now, this kid got back more than he started with. Proverbs 11.24 says this, One gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Now, I am not preaching the prosperity gospel here. Let me qualify this. The prosperity gospel basically says, hey, if you want to get rich, give to God because you can't outgive God and he'll make you rich. What's the motive of that? It's getting rich. Money is your idol. Money is your God. God will not honor that. The whole point of giving to the Lord is to acknowledge that, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below, right? We are praising God. We're trusting God for His provision. We're worshiping the Lord as our provider, right? And, and so the thing is, is that giving is, it, it's a hard issue. And, and the, the, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs eleven twenty four, 24, he, he's dealing, this is a spiritual principle, yes, but it's a hard issue, right? And, and Jesus, you know, he could have made food out of thin air, but he multiplies it through sacrifice, through breaking, through subtraction, through division. Like the math of God just, just doesn't work the way that we think it should. Now, James, familiar verse for you, I've put it on the screen, James 1, 2 through 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, that word trials, it, it means testing, and he'll go and say that in verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith, the trials which test your faith, produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect word, work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Hey guys, where are we going to go buy food? He's testing them as they come face to face with the idea that uh, there's 15,000 people here. Like, we, 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 could, we could go knock off Walmart, and we'd had a hard time feeding all these people, you know, kind, kind of attitude. So Jesus sees our need. Jesus has a plan to provide for our need. Jesus' provision comes through what we offer him in faith. And our fourth observation about God's provision, Jesus' provision is to be stewarded. Stewarded. Steward is somebody who recognizes what he has, doesn't belong to him, it belongs to somebody else, and his job is to manage that money. It's to be stewarded, verses 12 and 13. So when they were filled, literally glutted is the idea. We'll come back to that. When they were absolutely glutted, laying back on the couch saying, I hate myself. Why did I eat so much? <clears throat> I, I just, I'm a fat slob. Why did I do that? When they were absolutely glutted, Jesus says to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain 
so that nothing is lost. Now, don't think this. You go to the restaurant, and, and you and all your kids, and the table looks like a bomb went off after, you know, you're all done, and then the servers come, and they start taking away, you know, what's left on the plates. This is not what the disciples are taking away. The fragments are the serving dishes that haven't been touched by anybody. This is really good food that is right there, you know, <clears throat> and available. And so, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore, they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets. How many apostles are there? 12? 12? When, what were they? When, when, uh, when they went out on this journey to start with, Jesus says, you guys are exhausted because you're working your tails off and you don't even have time to eat. And so they gathered them up. Twelve baskets are filled with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, truly, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. There is no mistaking this was a miracle from God. This is, by the way, the only miracle that's included in all four Gospels. Well, there, this is one of the only miracles that's included in all four Gospels. There are, there are scholars who take this story and they say, here's what happened. Jesus really didn't produce, you know, food for 15,000 people. What happened was is that Jesus was doing a mind meld, you know, this Jedi mind trick on everybody, and he got some little boy to step up and give his lunch, and everybody else was so ashamed by their own selfishness and self-centeredness that they all pulled out their secret stash of lunch, and then they all shared the food that they had. That is complete and utter nonsense. That's not what the text is saying. This is, a, this is such a miracle that the people are saying, truly, this guy's the prophet that was prophesied that's going to come into the world. Barley was a poor man's food, by the way. This was typically animal food, so this kid having barley loaves indicates he's a poor kid. Small fish, like I told you, these are anchovies. This is, you know, condiments to go with his with his loaves that he's got, little lump of bread. Kid doesn't have a lot to give with. He gives it all to the Lord. Jesus is thankful for it. You know, the Vietnamese have a saying that when you're eating fruit, you should remember the one who planted the tree. And this is what Jesus really, in a sense, is doing. He, t- he takes this meager offering, you know, animal, animal food bread, yippee, you know, anchovies, whoop de doo He's thankful. God, this is what you've provided. And he gives thanks to him through whom all blessings flow, the one who provided. And because God faithfully provided, Jesus faithfully stewards it. And he says, gather it up lest anything be lost, right? Gather the fragments of rain so that nothing is lost. That word lost, it means literally utterly destroyed. It means um, to, to render useless. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, look, God has performed a miracle. He's provided. He's, he's magnified this. They're all filled. They're all glutted. They've had all they want. And, you know, sometimes we receive that way. Sometimes, sometimes we've got more month than money. And it's like, Lord, I don't know, I'm in a fetal position, how you're going to provide, and I'm stressed out. But you know what, sometimes we have those months where, where God <clears throat> has provided. And, and I'm like, woo, 
oh, I just got 1,200 bucks from, from the government for a stimulus check that I hadn't counted on. And my wife got one too. Wow. And I got, I got more money, right? And, and, and Jesus says, look, I don't want to see that rendered useless. I, I don't want to see what God has miraculously provided destroyed. You know, hey, we got 2400 bucks. You know, let's, let's go buy, you know, this worthless thing that we don't need or whatever. See, the attitude, the idea is that there's no excuse for wasting. The, the writer of Proverbs, Proverbs 21, 20 says, There's desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish person devours all he has. So the principle here is stewardship. It's a duty to faithfully manage God's things, Right? And what we're going to see next week, these guys, they take up 12 baskets of leftovers. They, they got fed today, and guess what? You, get, you, get, you got lunch tomorrow, too. And they're going to go through a trial between now and then. We're going to look at that next week. And they got these 12 baskets of God's provision that are, that are rolling around in the boat as, as they're freaking out, reminding them God sees, God provides. Now, I told you when we began that the big idea is that Jesus is the bread of life. Next week, we're going to focus on the larger implication of Jesus' provision here in John chapter 6 as he confronts the unbelieving hearts of these people. But as we close right now, we need to take to heart that Jesus does care and he does provide for our physical need. And so I want to close with four questions I'd have you write down, take a walk with, we'll close in prayer. Number one, how does the truth that God sees and cares about our need help us in our hour of need? Take a walk with that this week. Set up for the second question is that Jesus tested Philip when he was confronted with great need. And so here's the question, and how are some ways that Jesus tests us in our time of need? Third question, also with a setup, Jesus worked through a seemingly inadequate offering. Five loaves, a couple of anchovies. So <clears throat> what do you have that you might reason or render as, you know, this is, this is nothing compared to what the need is. But what do you have that you can offer God? Fourth question in light of Jesus gathering the scraps so that nothing is wasted, are there areas of God's provision in your life that you're wasting?